Welcome back, everybody. You listen to another episode of Drive Into the Basket. I am Mike. Hope you're all doing super well today. And apologies for not posting an episode last week and being a little bit late this week I'm posting. Uh, I really try to be as consistent as I can, uh, both just because I like to be very regular about this and also because, you know, as I've noted before, I'm really grateful to you folks, my listeners, and want to give you a, a good and a regular product. So last week, I'll just say generally it takes quite a bit to keep me from... I don't know. I don't know how to say this without sounding arrogant, but but typically I can, you know, put up uh, put out some some good content. I hope on a weekly basis. Last week was not great, unfortunately. Everything's fine, but uh, yeah, that's just what it is. So in any event, uh, we are only three days away from Pistons basketball and the start of post. Excuse me, start of the preseason at this point. Recording this on Thursday morning, and I'm super excited. I'm sure many of you are as well. I'm just really really looking forward to to seeing some Pistons basketball again. Not really a whole lot to preview in terms of the game itself. It's preseason. You never know who's going to play. You never know who this, you know, for the Pistons, you never know who, who the opposition is going to play as well. Uh, pretty common for really established players to just play maybe one or two games, <clears throat> you know, maybe three if they really just really want to hit the floor. Uh, but in any case, uh, this episode is just going to be finishing up the remainder of the player previews. Went over the veterans last time. Uh, there aren't really very many of those. And I'm going to go over the youth in this episode. And uh, that is the really the vast majority of the team at this stage. So I'm going to go in what I would say is no particular order, but I guess that would be lying actually because I'm going to do the rookies first. So first, let's get started with Marcus Sasser. So Sasser is about 23 years old, about 6'1", coming out of the University of Houston as a four-year player. Pistons traded up from pick 31 with two other picks. One uh, probably would have been a decent 20-25 second and the 2026 second to pick him at, uh, I believe, number 25 or number 26 uh, in any event. So Sasser is one of these players who may or may not see minutes this season. Uh, he's coming in as really a sort of now side, so to speak, player. You know, a guy who at the age of 23 is probably not likely to make another, you know, to make a big leap in the NBA. It has happened. It's just much with other players. It's just much less likely than if they're coming in at four years younger. So what Sasser brings to the table is elite shooting. He's a fantastic shooter at Houston in his final year. And uh, sorry for the raspiness there. I, I promise I haven't been smoking. So yeah, fantastic shooter in Houston. Uh, not the greatest playmaker, even by NCAA standards. At, at the age, you know, even in his senior year, he was pretty mediocre as, as, a, as a guard playmaker and also had his struggles in getting to the basket and scoring there. And again, these are things that are likely to be more difficult for him to do against NBA defenses. I would say almost certainly more difficult because, of course, the worst NBA defense is monumentally better than the best NCAA defense. So this basically relegates Sasser to shooting specialist. I mean, I was not a huge fan of the pick in the first place because he's undersized and really positionally locked and will probably have some issues on, on defense against switch schemes. And just doesn't really offer much more than yeah, just that shooting specialist role. It's going to be a little bit awkward to slot him into lineups unless you're playing him with, you know, say Cade, because I mean Sasser needs to play at the one, but you know, for size purposes. And I'm not saying this in the context that the guy winding up at the point guard slot has to be your primary playmaker, but like you can't have him out there without another lead playmaker because that's just not him. Again, unless he just takes a really, really big and unexpected leap. So you've got to have him out there with another primary playmaker, but you'd also have to have him out there with a guy with a primary playmaker who has the size to make it work. For example, you don't want to put him out there with Monte Morris, who is pretty small himself. I mean, that is just asking to get absolutely eaten up on defense. I mean, Monte manages to be like a, an acceptable defender, though probably in the postseason it would be an issue for him as well. But you don't want to put he and Sasser out there together. You also don't want to put Sasser out there with Ivy necessarily because Ivy is most well-suited to be a, being a secondary playmaker. I feel pretty firmly about that. He's not the sort of really primary guy who's really a floor general. He's more instead the kind of guy who's definitely able to create off the drive, but more of just a driving kick dude rather than a guy who sees a few steps ahead. Also, you know, pretty good as a passer, not great. And all of this is fine. Like he made a ton of progress last year, and I think he'll be a very able secondary playmaker. It's just not necessarily what he's well suited to, in my opinion. So basically, you put Sasser out there with Ivy, then you don't really have the sort of lead guard that you would like to have on the floor. So it's an it's a pre precarious and just really strange fit there. So 
you know, all of this is saying, I think this is a long-term thing. It's not necessarily limited just to next season is that fun. Just Sasser's fit in the lineup is going to be kind of weird. And the acquisition of Monte, which I don't think, I mean, I, I don't think the Pistons looked at Sasser and said, oh, hey, this is going to be our backup point guard. I think that they really wanted to find a better backup point guard. I think Monte was that solution. And as long as you got those four guys out there, I mean, Cade, Ivy, Burks, who can play up the small forward as well, but really shooting guard is his native position, and he's one of the team's best shooters and doesn't suffer like Sasser from being undersized. You can't, for example, I, I, don't, I don't think if Sasser does well, that just gives you a license to swap out Burks because you know Burks can really play on the wing and Sasser cannot, just doesn't have the size to. So you've got those four guys, and then you might, if all goes well, you know, and this would be a very pleasant surprise, have Killian challenging for one of those guard spots as well. I just wouldn't be surprised if Sasser didn't get many minutes this season. But if he does get out in the court, I mean, his job is to shoot the ball. And again, he was great at that in Houston in his senior season, even before that, but particularly in his final season there. And hopefully get a little bit of run trying to see if there is anything there in terms of his ability to make plays for others. You know, a pretty necessary component of which would be the ability to get to the rim, which again, he just wasn't good at at Houston. I mean, he's not a bad NBA athlete, but by no means is he explosive or, or a good leaper, either either one of those. You know, he, he really struggles to get past his defender. And when he gets to the rim, he's often scoring from below it. So I'm curious to see, and I'm actually curious to hear about what the Pistons see as his long-term role, because it's kind of hazy to me. And it'd be one thing if he were picked in like the late 30s or you know, in the forties or whatever, it was just a little weird that the Pistons took a pick right on the edge of the second, uh, on the first, excuse me, right on the edge of the first round and added two second round picks to it. And seconds aren't worthless. I mean, they, they have value and they can be used in trades as we saw. Yeah. And they added those two, not only that pick, but they added two seconds to it to move up and select this guy it was just a little odd to me. So yeah, with Sasser, just get out and shoot it and, you know, try to, you know, try to see what he can do as a playmaker though. I, I'm not super hopeful. And next is Asar. So one thing about Asar, he is, in my opinion, much more of an upside player than I think perhaps some are are thinking or realizing. I don't want to say realizing because that I think sounds just a little bit arrogant. But it's at this point he has he has a lot more upside than immediate value. So we know what he does well. You know he's going to be a hard nosed, smart NBA defender, very switchable. He has very high basketball IQ and can be counted upon to make the right play. He is a solid playmaker who should be you know, very able off the drive to make plays and not just off the drive from the perimeter as well, uh, to make the right passes for his teammates. So those things he indisputably does well, you know, the passing, the defense, and, and just the basketball IQ, that high level basketball IQ, which you certainly can't teach players who have that, just have that really high level basketball IQ, either, you either have it or you don't, can't be learned. So those are great. What he doesn't have is, at this point, scoring. And I'm not just talking about three-point shooting, which is the essential ingredient in him becoming what could be a very good NBA player. Like, if Asar Thompson can shoot, then he could start for a championship team. I firmly believe that. Right now, really needs to work in his form. was a pretty darn poor shooter in, in OTE, even when you take into account uh, him going Nova in the playoffs in those final four games and what I think could, in any event, be called an anomaly given the, the rest of his performance in the league from the perimeter. You know, even then, if I remember correctly, he shot in the low 30s on wide open threes, even taking that stretch into account. And it wasn't really like he improved throughout the season. He started out bad in preseason, improved in the first half of the season, got worse in the second half of the season, and then went Nova in the playoffs. So whatever the case, he really needs to work in the three-point shooting, needs to reconstruct his shots. I have no doubt whatsoever that this guy, who by all accounts is a just an inveterate workaholic when it comes to improving his game is has worked very diligently on that during the offseason I think hoping for I, I, basically I think that him coming into the season as a reliable shooter is a lot to hope for I'll be thrilled don't get me wrong I mean I'd be ecstatic to see that I'm not expecting it um, hopefully he'll improve over the course of the season might take him to year two to really get going as a shooter I don't think the Pistons in a million years would have drafted him without confidence that he was going to develop as a shooter in the NBA because non-shooting perimeter players don't really exist in the NBA anymore. I mean, you're fine if you're a superstar with you know the ideal roster around you, like a like a Butler or a Giannis or or Draymond Green, but 
you know, for the most part, it's just that the cost of fielding them is just too high. And I've spoken so many times about this on, on this podcast already. I'm not going to subject you folks to it again. And basically, the shot is a mandatory thing. And uh, I have no doubts that they drafted him with confidence that he would get there. Same as was the case with Ivy. Ivy came into the league, well, in his first season at Purdue, he was a bad perimeter shooter. In his second season at Purdue, uh, sorry, I forgot to silence notifications on my phone there. So in his second season at Purdue, he was considerably better in terms of percentage, but he was horribly inconsistent. Like He started the season fairly well, inflated his percentage with a couple of really big games. And then in, I think, the last 15 or 16 games of that second season, he shot like 26% from three. Uh, That included the NCAA tournament. So Ivy was still a pretty poor shooter. I felt back then that the Pistons definitely would not have drafted him without the confidence that he would improve, and he did. You know, the second half of last season, he was a pretty darn reliable shooter, and I was very happy to see it. So, you know, I'm, I'm without even a shadow of a doubt that, that the team is confident in his progression as a shooter. Sorry, I, I realize I just said that for the third time. And I'll say this again, it's, it's an essential ingredient. Uh, not all the basketball IQ, passing, and defense in the world is likely to make a sorry anything but a non uh, anything but a negative contributor on offense if he can't shoot from the perimeter. It just hurts too much. And beyond that, he just really, really, really struggled as a half court scorer and overtime elite in general. He just didn't really have any go to move. The three wasn't there. He is nowhere near his brother's equal in terms of attacking the rim, and the in between game isn't there. Again, super hard worker has a lot of assets. All he needs to do to become a, a very valuable NBA player is shoot the ball well. And if even just the attacking the rim comes together as well, you've got easily a guy with all-star upside. But the upshot of all of this, you know, just what I'm referring to is that Asar is very raw in some ways, on offense in particular. Well, particularly as a scorer. It might take him some time. You know, I, I know that a lot is being said by his teammates of, oh, you know, this guy looks great and, you know, he's ready to play and, and, and so on. This is pretty common stuff. In, in the NBA and in the offseason for, for teammates to hype each other up, for coaches and management to hype players up. Asar might come in and struggle at first, and he might, you know, who knows about his rookie season if he just can't score, which is very hard to provide value if you can't shoot, even harder if you, you know, if you're struggling as a scorer overall. Uh, do I have doubts about his long-term future? No, I feel pretty good about that. Again, all it'll take is a shooting, and at the very least, we know it's a guy who's going to work his tail off to get there. So uh, I expect that Asar will get significant number of minutes more if he's good i don't think he's going to start just because you don't sacrifice spacing for shooting in today's nba you don't say well you know we're gonna play a non you know a perimeter non-shooter and alongside a traditional center no less because we want more defense because that's that's just a death sentence for your offense and this is a league which in which potency basically in which talent it manifests itself much more strongly on offense than on defense, like it or not. And I think that offense some time ago went too far. It's just way too difficult to play defense these days. And some plays you just can't defend against, particularly if there are five shooters in the floor. Like, for example, you take that play that Denver ran a lot, which is just run KCP around an off-ball screen for a handoff from Jokic, whose man has to stick with him, and then KCP shoots off the move. Impossible to defend. <laughs> just can't be done. There are other options. There, are, excuse me. There are other actions that are incredibly. It's incredibly, incredibly difficult to stop and, and open the three from resulting from them. So, yeah, I think offense has gone too far, but it is what it is. And you just, if you're sacrificing spacing for defense, that's a losing formula. It's also something that I, I feel very, very confident that Monty will not do, and the front office would not like to see. You know, to sacrifice spacing around Cade and Ivy. I think that they will prioritize putting spacing around Cade and Ivy. And, you know, of course, you'll have Duran in the picture, and he's traditional big, and who knows, like, it'd be great if a shooting came along. I'm not really counting on it or, or on them using him in a perimeter role at all, except for ISO situations or, you know, just odd situations where it makes sense to have him on the perimeter. It's basically the fact that you have a non-shooting center also, you know, figures into the spacing. You can easily get away in the NBA with having a non-shooting center. You had a non-shooting perimeter player there. Uh, there, things start to hurt. Well, the non-shooting perimeter player is going to hurt, period. But if he's the second non-shooter in a lineup, then blah. So what we'll see out of Asar, I think, just let him go out there and try to get his reps as a, as a scorer, as a shooter. I know that it's been said a lot that the Pistons are going to try to win more this season. I think that should be taken with a bit of a grain of salt. Development is still going to be very much a thing. I think it's just more that unless you are a key young player, you are going to lose your minutes if you're not playing well. I think that's really 
what the we're going to be trying to win this season is guys are no longer to be given infinite leashes you're not going to see killian hayes that this was partly by necessity being given 28 minutes a game even though he's one of the worst players in the league which is how it goes we saw it said by monty that bagley and wiseman would be fighting for the backup center spots i'll go over that in uh in a moment here but i think that's what they mean by we're going to try to win i mean they're still going to be putting a lot of emphasis on developing the team's key youth and those guys are going to be allowed to to play through struggles. So for Asar, go out there, try to grow on offense, you know, play your defense, you know, do the things you're good at. But but yeah, I think it's entirely possible to struggle on offense, and that's fine. You know, that that is what he is. That's what he's coming into the league as. And you want to give him the space to develop there on the court as well as off. So moving on to the aforementioned Wiseman and Bagley, you all know that I really don't like the fact that both of them are on the roster. So they're going to be fighting it out for the backup center spot. And my sense is that that's going to go to Wiseman. I I think like some whip service is being given to, oh, it's a competition. I feel pretty strongly that the Pistons didn't get rid of Sadiq Bey and then pass up for unprotected second round picks from Atlanta just to bring in Wiseman for like 22 games, I think, last season, and then just relegate him to the bench. I think they want to see what they have from him before they do that. And the only way for them to do that, of course, is to give him time on the court. I also think that Bagley is very unlikely at this point to make a real NBA rotation player, especially at center, which is where he'd be playing. His defense is just a disaster. It's been a disaster since the NCAA, since his season at Duke, where Krzyzewski had to go to his zone to protect Bagley in the pick and roll and to protect Wendell Carter Jr. as well. Wendell Carter Jr., needless to say, has improved quite a bit. Bagley has not at all so his defense is just atrocious at this point he would have to provide like great value on offense to compensate for that and even then like in the postseason i think he'd still be unplayable because he'd just be constantly targeted even if he weren't playing center guy is actually good at sticking with guys on offense it's when you ask him to make decisions in short order that things go tragically wrong and you have to be able to do that at the at the nba level and see that weakness would absolutely be targeted as an interior defender he is a complete and utter catastrophe so I think the ship has kind of sailed on Bagley. I also can't help but think, you know, continue to think that their acquisition of Wiseman in the first place was a bit of a vote of no confidence in Bagley's ability to improve. I think the org really wanted to see him develop as a shooter for one, and he made virtually no progress on that, uh, you know, in that area. He, uh, this is the thing with Bagley, even if he becomes, if he becomes like just a below average defender, he's, he's still going to provide a lot of value on offense. And right now it's all around the basket. It's basically just as a finisher who can sort of create some offense off the uh, around the basket can sort of create a little bit around the basket, put it that way. And the value of a player like that is just not very high. And when I say finisher, of course, he can play in the pick and roll. He's a vertical spacer. But the value of a guy who plays poor defense, and Bagley's defense right now is awful, who plays poor defense and just doesn't provide anything but around the basket scoring of a pretty pedestrian sort is pretty low. So uh, I think it's Wiseman's job to lose, which I think it should be. Wiseman, who was equally terrible on defense last season and makes boneheaded decisions on offense as well, though I think he was being given a very long leash by Casey in a lost season, the late stages of a lost season, in which they just wanted to, to feed these guys minutes and in which the Pistons were not only not trying to win, but trying to not win. I don't think he'll have anywhere near that leash. And if he has a short leash and continues to act like a moron on the court, then, you know, that's that for James Wiseman. I think perhaps the knowledge that his career is sort of at stake at this point will change things. Who knows? The way I think about Wiseman is the same way. I don't know. For those of you who have seen uh, The Wizard of Oz, it's kind of like, if only I had a brain. It's basically, if you could put Isaiah Stewart's brain in James Wiseman's body, you'd have one of the top centers in the league. But at this point, we're stuck with James Wiseman's brain and James Wiseman's body. So whatever the case, I think that he'll be given probably like a solid half season to do his thing, assuming he remains healthy. His health struggles have been about as extensive as Marvin Bagley's throughout his career so far. Just the idea is that, who knows, maybe this guy just hasn't, unlike Bagley, who knows, maybe this guy just hasn't played enough in the NBA to get the proper seasoning. He didn't get to play in college, et cetera, et cetera. So there's the fact that you kind of need to give him playing time, or you definitely need to, but that was figure of speech, that you definitely need to give him playing time to see if that's accurate or not that i think they're probably on the outs with bagley and don't believe too much in him and i hope this isn't the case but also maybe this this sort of sunk cost thing like we paid a significant price for this guy let's be sure that we're going to see you know what we have out of him and 
I, I would guess that's not, if that's a factor, I think that's not necessarily unreasonable. So what should Wiseman do this season? Go out there and don't be a moron. You know, you've got the perfect NBA body, you know, to play, you know, strong defense at center and to be at the very least a strong finisher. You know, go out there and, you know, hopefully show us that you've, you know, that your issues with defensive processing were the product of lack of experience and that you've improved upon that and that you aren't going to be one of the worst defenders in the league and on offense. Go out there and play within the flow of the offense. Just finish, you know, finish around the rim on the pick and roll elsewhere. Um, Catch lobs, you know, if he can actually get that three-point shot down, then fantastic. But ultimately, his ability to play in the NBA, to stick in the NBA, is going to come down to improving his processing and decision-making a lot. And that's not always possible, especially on defense. So we'll see. Now, when it comes to Bagley, I don't really know what to say in terms of what we should look for out of him. I mean, number one, shoot the ball. You know, you're, you're always going to be, at the very least, a bad defender. You know, you've, you've got to provide that value on offense. And to provide that value on offense, you've got to be able to shoot it. And as of last season, his form is still incredibly ugly. And, well, not incredibly ugly, but certainly ugly. Uh, his touch is incredibly ugly. I mean, that, that shot when it goes down, uh, you know, when it, when it hits the rim, it's just his touch is really, really bad right now. He has been an, a poor three-point shooter pretty much throughout his entire career, aside from one half season in which he shot 34%. Aside from that half season, which is three years ago. He has been at well under 30% on wide open threes. Uh, his One of his tour de forces, of course, was after he came to the Pistons in that final like one quarter season, he shot 19% on open threes with the Pistons. So shoot the ball, hopefully create, you know, hopefully whip up some sort of off the dribble game. I don't know. It all comes down to needing to improve quite a bit on defense regardless. So I guess go out there just like Wiseman, play smarter. That's kind of like a tall order after five seasons in the NBA and, and one in the NCAA is a terrible defender. I think that the Pistons at this point would be happy to move off of Marvin Bagley, uh, but he's a, he's a negative trade asset at this point. I mean, they'd have to pay to get rid of him, almost certainly. Is why would another team be particularly interested in Bagley at this point? And I know questions remain as to why Troy gave him three years at above market rate when the Pistons were essentially bidding against themselves. And I think the answer is that he got a bit above market rate to sign for three guaranteed years rather than bet on himself. And that if things had worked out, he would be hitting free agency the summer after the Pistons, or rather in a summer when the Pistons had already spent their cap space the, the, the summer before, because Cade's, you know, hopefully is good enough for this. Uh, Cade's max extension would have come active in 2025 and that same offseason in which Bagley would be a free agent, and then the Pistons would be free to just re-sign him using bird rights. So the timing would have lined up. Uh, in the event, Bagley has been injured a lot of the time and really didn't improve at all. In any case, I think it's likely that Bagley will be out of the rotation this season. Maybe he sees some minutes out of necessity due to injuries to other players, or maybe if Wiseman is just absolutely horrible in that first half season, though my hope is that Isaiah Stewart will ultimately be the backup center for this team. But uh, I personally wouldn't be too sad to not see Marvin Bagley again playing for the Pistons. And one final point to cover, I know that he had what kind of looked like a, a pretty decent part of a season right after he was traded, the Pistons traded for him, excuse me. I think he was still pretty poor in that season. You know, in that uh, excuse me, in that segment of a season, the Pistons up to that point had, due to a, a baffling decision by Troy Weaver, which he has admitted openly was a mistake, didn't have a single athletic big on the roster. The rotation was Stewart, Olenek, and Garza, and I mean that was just a kind of like a baffling decision, like a, a really just outright error, just in general because that's a bad idea, but also particularly because Cade lives in the high pick and roll, and we saw what just having an athletic big would do for him. So I think that may have made Marvin look a little bit better than he was. And he was still, needless to say, when he had to play center, absolutely horrible at it on defense. Now the Pistons have Jalen Duran, of course. No shortage of athletic bigs between he and, I guess you have Bagley and Wiseman as, as a secondary option there. Uh, Duran, I think, will be very strong in the pick and roll and, and so on and so forth. So I, I wouldn't, personally, I wouldn't look too closely or I wouldn't read too much, rather, into what, Bagley was, uh, how Bagley looked after he joined the team. Is, I think just what he provided back then is, is very much easily replaceable by Duran or most other athletic bigs out there. All right, speaking of Isaiah Stewart, let's go on and talk a bit about him. The reason we extended Isaiah Stewart, who is now going to be under contract with the Pistons until 
2029, I believe, or 2028. I think 2028, whatever the case. He'll be around for a long time, which makes me happy because I love Stewart. So he, I think, is the likeliest to slot in at starting power forward. I think that's just chiefly by necessity. There's nobody better for the position at this point. I think Isaiah Stewart could be one of the better backup centers in the league and a very valuable contributor at center in the postseason in particular, when teams often turn to switch schemes or just turn to whatever scheme is going to target. Well, anything they can target, but when it comes to targeting centers, they'll, you know, they'll target whatever the center is worse at between drop and switch and Isaiah Stewart is good at both there's very 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 little variance there in terms of he can play in any scheme put it that way he has his weaknesses a little bit as a defensive rebounder can't really defend lobs too well and there are guys who can just rebound over him but for the most part I think he'd, he'd be a very strong postseason center I've been over why I think he's weak at power forward and I'll just summarize it because I know plenty of you have heard me go through the whole spiel before uh, the reason he's poor fit at power forward is his poor, relatively poor NBA athleticism in certain categories, and particularly in his foot speed on the run, which is pretty darn poor. So we all know Isaiah is not the most explosive player, doesn't have a good first step, is not a good leaper. And also, just if you make him run in the interior, excuse me, in the half court, he's just pretty slow. And that's not so much of an issue at center when he's not chasing guys through the interior, when he's not chasing guys around screens and so on. He doesn't need to do those things. That really minimizes the impact of that poor foot speed, whereas playing a power forward emphasizes it. Isaiah now has got to chase guys through around the perimeter. He's now got to chase guys around screens. He's not, I mean, his switch defense isn't really nearly as much of a thing at, at power forward because that's you know, in the vast majority of cases, he's just defending like any perimeter player would. If you make him run through the interior, run past through the interior, he's likely to get there late. He's got to go under every screen and so on and so forth. So you take a, a pretty darn strong defender at center and you make him like a mediocre defender at, at power forward because Isaiah still does have his work ethic and his length and his defensive IQ. But for those, I think he might very well be a below average defender at power forward. And on offense, because he's not beating guys off the dribble, obviously, he's not going to be beating guys off the ball. He can't really even cut to the baskets. He has trouble attacking closeouts. Really, all he's capable of is standstill spot up threes when he's left wide open. So mediocre on defense at power forward, very limited on offense. I think it sucks that he's kind of been shoehorned into that position by the presence of Bagley and Wiseman. I think he'll start a power forward just because as kind of like a decent defender at the position and hopefully a guy who will be a reliable floor spacer, he's just the best option. And that's more of a reflection upon the roster at the moment, which is pretty thin at power forward, than it is upon Isaiah himself. I don't think he's bad at the position, but I think he'd be like the... I just don't see a route to him being better than, you know, like a very, very, very unremarkable power forward. And that's no knock on Isaiah. It just is what it is in terms of his athleticism. Doesn't help also on defense that he, he's just too slow and too poor a leaper to really play weak side rim defense, sort of reposition to help and so on and so forth. Not a knock on him. Again, I love Isaiah. It's just how things are. Well, in my opinion, it's just how things are, though I think kind of the athleticism thing is sort of a fact or is actually a fact. No offense to anybody. So I will note that though Isaiah did shoot pretty poorly in the season last year, he was pretty good before his injury. Hurt his shoulder in, in January. It's understandable that his shooting and his general scoring just went into the crapper after that. But in after kind of like a slow start in the 31 games before his injury, he shot about 37% from three and close to 40% on wide open threes. And that did include like a really strong stretch in, I believe, December. It was either December or, uh, or November, but I think it was December where he shot like close to 50%. But uh, it was a big improvement for him. I've always said I think Isaiah has the touch as a shooter. I believe that since his uh, his rookie season in the NBA. I think he's got the touch both as a perimeter shooter and as a, uh, a mid-range standstill guy when he's left wide open. That's a good shot to be able to make. I, I think ultimately at center, he can be a guy who just can't be given space in the interior or on the perimeter, and he can do his usual thing. But his usual thing, rather, just being setting screens and creating space and just playing a, a super physical style. So I would say for Isaiah power forward, I think that the ability for him to improve is very limited, but just go out there and shoot those threes well. And, you know, when you move back to center, I mean, that's, that's going, he has his weaknesses on offense at center as well, but you play him at center as, uh, you know, in a five out scheme, uh, it's, it's definitely, you know, a valuable player and you can kind of more ably cope with his weaknesses as, as a pick and roll guy in that situation. 
So go out there and shoot those threes, play your game, play hard, set the tone, set an example, all of which I'm very confident that he will do. Isaiah Livers, the elder statesman amongst the youth, it's uh, a little bit over 25 years old. Uh, number one for Isaiah, stay healthy, <laughs> obviously. Like uh, he is not his fault, needless to say, but he has now suffered another injury, which is going to keep him out until uh, at least a month, I think, or a solid month into the regular season, thereabouts. And health has been an enemy for Isaiah since his University of Michigan days. Basically, like, you have to be available to play in the NBA. I mean, I'm not saying something there that isn't incredibly obvious. You have to be able to get on the court. And it's a shame because I think Isaiah, like, I think he would top out his kind of bench forward, but postseason capable bench forward, which is very useful. I mean, that's that's a good player to have. I don't think he'd ever come in and be like a particularly strong starter, but a guy off the bench who plays solid defense, makes the right decisions, works hard, can shoot the three at a high percentage, and can hopefully, as, as Isaiah said that he was working on this past summer, hit some motion threes. That'd be, you know, that'd be great. I always want guys like that. And I think, you know, he could be a guy like that if he can just stay healthy. Uh, the fact that he has been injured so often so early in his NBA career is, it does not bode well. It's unlikely that these things will get better more likely that they will stay as they are or get worse. And as you get injured enough, you start to lose some mobility. And, you know, it's not guaranteed to happen, but it can definitely happen. And that's a big, big problem at the NBA and certainly a big problem for a guy like Livers, who's not the most athletic to begin with. But when he is back, I mean, almost certainly get minutes at most likely back at power forward. Who knows? Maybe if he really impresses and, and Asar isn't ready. And I'm not counting on Asar being ready unless his, his shooting has improved a great deal. If Asara's shooting has improved a great deal, then you can make a case for moving Boyan to power forward and just starting Asara at small forward. Uh, for the record, Boyan played power forward on those Jazz teams. Uh, in any case, you know if Livers comes back and he lights things up and Stewart is really struggling from three, then who knows, maybe you start Livers at power forward. Again, I don't think he'd come in there as like a particularly strong starter, but you know he'd be a solid stopgap. And just if, if he can just stay on the floor. He can be a solid rotation player for the Pistons going forward, even when they are a postseason team. So when he gets back, come in, play your game, shoot the ball at a high percentage, which is non-negotiable. He didn't do quite as well at that last season. I just shoot the ball at a high percentage. And if you can get those motion three-point shooters, no, excuse me, those motion threes in there as well, then awesome. Uh, Isaiah, I think, is a guy who's always going to come in there and play a team game and play within himself and do exactly what is asked of him. So if he can do that, cool. At this point, just pretty concerning that he continues to get injured. But hope to see him manage to remain on the court this season. And if he can do that, I think he'll be a solid contributor by default. Moving on, Killian spoke about him at length in the last episode. So I'll just make this quick. Hit your threes reliably at a high percentage. You'll be in the NBA for a long time. Continue to be a horrible three-point shooter. Probably be in Europe before too long. By all accounts, trade interest in him has been very low. That makes sense because he's been a horrific shooter since he came. Excuse me, horrific overall scorer, but... Also, certainly a horrific shooter, a horrific perimeter shooter since he came into the NBA. He is a very gifted playmaker and a very smart player and a pretty solid defender. But those are not going to keep you in the NBA if you're as bad at shooting as Killian is. And you just add the other forms of scoring, you know, inside the perimeter, which he is terrible also. So Killian, come in, shoot your shot, you know, literally, you know, shoot your three-point shot well. You know, if he comes to training camp and is much improved as a shooter and does well in preseason at perimeter shooting, the Pistons might have an interesting decision to make, and that would be a very good problem to have. And now let's move on to the final three. First of those will be Jalen Duran, still the youngest member of the team, actually. Won't be 20 until November. So Duran, I'm very, very high in his defensive potential. He had a share of rookie struggles on defense last season. It should be kept in mind that Duran was pretty darn raw. If he hadn't reclassified, last season would have been his NCAA season, and his NCAA season would have been his senior year of high school. Pistons knew he was coming into the league pretty raw. He was very much an upside player. So I think ultimately Duran will be a strong defender across the board. But last season, he just had his share of struggles that I think are very, it can easily be improved upon. We'll put it that way. So very non-worrying. It was all stuff that was just a little bit off. Like, he was not quite properly positioned to use his length for maximum disruption. Or he was just slightly out of position to contest a shot. Or, you know, when he was contesting a drive or or contesting a shot, he just didn't have his body and his arms quite well positioned enough. Which, you know, in the NBA, is, it's a game of inches. Those things matter. I think his defensive IQ is good. He's got a great frame for playing defense in the NBA. 
I think he'll be a little bit better in drop than he is in switch coverage, but he should be a strong switch defender nonetheless. And I think that just making those adjustments on defense, basically just seasoning and, and growth is something that he can really start to build on in the upcoming season. It's something that he can really work on. And I think we'll see Duran come in and, and be a stronger defender than he was last season. I think that just that strong defense alone is all it's going to take, you know, with his other assets to to make him a top 10 center in the NBA. Uh, top 10 and top five are, of course, two very different things. I mean, those uh, superstars in the top five or thereabouts are, are really on another level. You got to be really, really good to be uh, to really be a superstar contributor at, at center. But yeah, if you if you take that defense, and I think that Duran has you know, something in the realm of all defensive upside. And you pair it with, you know, his strong finishing, his ability to finish above the rim, his the fact that he, he is very, very strong. It can basically dunk anything. You know, that's that's a very valuable center there. So as far as working on next season, like I said, just work to, to refine his defense, just gain experience, make adjustments. On offense, a couple of things I'd like to see him work on. Number one is layups. And he struggled on layups last season. It was less of an issue for him than it might be for the average center because the guy is is very strong, very athletic, goes up hard, comes down hard, just dunks everything. In terms of the percentage of his field goals that were dunks and the number of dunks he had, uh, he was basically only behind Mitchell Robinson. So, you know, that's great, but you still want to be able to get those layups up for obvious reasons in more difficult situations or just in positions, just in general, where you can't just dunk the ball. And also to get those points on and ones. I feel like Duran kind of gave up a lot of, of and ones because he just kind of struggled to get those layups up at a good percentage. And on layups, he actually did really poorly last season. Now, is that something to be concerned about for Duran after his rookie season? No, definitely something you can work on. And uh, yeah, so that's something I would like to see out of him this season. The second, improve on his free throw percentage. In the mid to high 60s is pretty bad in the NBA these days. I mean, you go back six years, that wasn't notably bad for a center, but these days it is. And again, you're just weaving easy points at the line. If, if you're shooting at that poor of a percentage, it's not just that it's a poor percentage. It also means the player is fairly unreliable, you know, not consistent. So you just can't send him to the line and be confident that he'll, he'll sink the shots at a good rate. As far as other stuff, like I know we saw that he was given the leash to attempt some off the dribble offense and uh, even take a couple of threes at summer league uh, in that event. I mean, you look, for example, just at the aforementioned Mitchell Robinson, and you'll see off season tapes of him shooting threes and crossing guys up. And it's less a question of can do it under some circumstances, more a one of, is it worth even trying it at the NBA with its drastically, with its incredibly high level of competition and focus on getting maximum return on every possession um, I, it'd be great if Duran could develop into a three-point shooter, but even then, I mean, you lose a lot of his value if you take him away from the rim and you lose his finishing and you know his rebounding, for example. And so the value equation, unless he becomes like a, a pretty good three-point shooter, is is pretty poor. You want that guy in the interior. You know, it'd still be useful for you know a variety of purposes, whether that's isolation possessions, where you want everybody spacing the floor and you want to take the rim protector away from the rim. Whether it's just situations in which, you know, he's around to make a heave of all its fails and, you know, whatever other actions. So I'll be pleasantly surprised if, you know, as a really complete non-shooter, we're not talking Brooke Lopez, who was a, a decent mid-range guy before he became a three-point shooter. We're talking a guy who basically has no experience uh, in competitive setting as a shooter, becomes a good three-point shooter. If he does, fantastic. Am I banking on it? No. Uh, I think we'll see, and I'd like to see more of this, him uh, abusing good matchups down near the basket, just using his strength to get himself good opportunities. Is he ever going to be a creator in the more general sense around the basket? Again, I'd be pleasantly surprised. It, uh, it's, it's very, very hard to be a productive or an efficient post scorer on any sort of volume in today's NBA. It's not something he needs. And another thing I forgot to mention, passing. You know, I'd like to see the Pistons find more ways to involve him in that and see, you know, see, what, see what he can do, whether that just be pure just interior passes or passes out of the pick and roll. I mean, it's valuable to have a guy you can get the ball to and he has the, the passing vision and the ability to, in that event, maybe kick it out to somebody who's open on the perimeter or do some passing out of the short roll or, or whatever else. So, yeah, so we'll leave it at that. Just defensive adjustments continue to grow there, um, improve upon layups, improve his free throw percentage, and hopefully, you know, see him, 
you know, do a bit of creation around around the basket against mismatches and, and get that passing into play. That's another area in, in which he could be valuable. And hey, yeah, you've got a, a really high, if you've got a really high caliber uh, defender who's who's an efficient finisher and uh, and a versatile finisher around the basket and can do some passing, I mean, it's a valuable player. So uh, Duran's definitely a player I'm excited about. Moving on to Jaden Ivey, uh, definitely the most prominent player on the roster last season. So uh, you missed my episode about Ivy. He really improved across the course of the season on offense. Like he made a lot of improvement. You generally don't see a rookie improve that much over the course of his rookie season. He started pretty rough. I mean, that was part of it, but I was impressed. I mean, it's not easy to adapt to the difficulties of the NBA in that fashion. I mean, some guys just come in better suited to excel. I mean, that's that's just a different story. But yeah, Ivy came in and he, yeah, he, he just made a lot of improvements across the course of the season. Uh, as a playmaker, certainly. Um, one of my concerns coming into the NBA was his ability to make the right reads and passes. And he was a very willing passer and a pretty able one. As I mentioned earlier in the episode, lead playmaker, I don't think so, but that's fine. You know, we don't need him to be a lead playmaker. Uh, improved as a shooter quite a bit. Improved as in-between game quite a bit. Uh, as a shooter, we even saw some flashes of off-the-dribble ability. Um, was a very active off-ball mover. That is a skill. It's a combination of his explosiveness with willingness. Not, not every player has, as is, is, uh, strange as that may sound. Um, notifications on my phone got turned on again. Sorry about that if you heard it. So where does Ivy need to improve? Number one is his defense. And his defense last season was pretty terrible altogether. Not for lack of effort by any means. I mean, a guy works super hard on everything. You know, he wasn't phoning it in on defense by any means. But his just his decision-making and his defensive awareness were very, very poor. And he was definitely up there with Bagley and Wiseman for worst defender on the team. Is that something to be worried about right now? No. I mean, this is his rookie season. And I'm confident he'll work diligently at it. He does need to improve quite a bit, though, at, at this point. So, let me put that differently. In order for him to be a non-problem for the Pistons on defense, there's quite a bit of improvement that needs to be made from his rookie season. He's young. There's plenty of time uh, before you know we'd need to really or anybody would need to point at his defense and say, okay, this might really be a problem. It's just something, you know, it's entirely possible. Well, sorry for stuttering this. There are some players where it just doesn't come together, where they just remain really bad defenders. There are also plenty of players who do get it together and at least improve. And if Ivy is like an average to slightly below average defender, that's fine. So defense, definitely one area in which he needs to show improvements. And um, by all accounts, or I shouldn't say by all accounts, I should say his own. He's aware that it, it needs improvements. He said uh, something somewhat explicit about how bad his defense was. On the other end, uh, getting to the basket. It was maybe a little bit of a surprise that an area in which one would think that Ivy would have excelled turned out to be a weakness, which is just penetrating, uh, penetrating to the rim and scoring there. He had issues, especially, well, this is one area in which he definitely didn't improve over the course of the season. I think this is in part because defenses just weren't out of play him. He struggled a lot to get to the rim. He would basically, if if there were a defender in front of him, Ivy would just struggle to get past him. And he'd just generally run into the defender, and that would be that. And actually, his attempts at the rim had dropped over the course, or his attempts at driving at the rim anyway, had dropped in the second half of the season over the first half. He needs to pick his roots better. He needs to not be, not try to be such a straight line driver. And I mean, he has all the athletic assets he needs. Of course, all the athletic advantages to to penetrate and to finish at the rim. Though, I mean, it should be noted, like uh, he's actually not the most vertical player off the drive, but that uh, he's got plenty of verticality and he's he's one of the most explosive players in the league. So. Yeah, he's, he's got what he needs on the physical side of things. It's more just planning his roots and being smarter about it. The additional spacing this season will help. Spacing last season was terrible. Casey's coaching was really of no help. Like pretty much Jaden take the ball, go in the pick and roll and do something with it. It was very, very straight line thinking and made things obviously easier on the defense. But some of it was on Jaden's end. So just a certain amount of refinement there is necessary. In the NCAA, he was really just able to score on athleticism alone, particularly if he could turn the corner on somebody and score at the rim before the rim protector would get there. But NBA defenses are a lot stronger than that. So I think just an area of refinement, I think he'll get there. And just playing with better teammates and better spacing and a better coach will, I think, be very helpful to him in that respect. Though it should be noted that even last season, just the threat of him driving was always there. And so he always needed 
to to be watched. I mean, if he got a guy out of position and Blaze passed him, help would always come, and then he could pass the ball, and somebody would get a good opportunity out of it. And needless to say, or as I mentioned, he improved a lot as a passer across the course of the season, both in terms of just his straight passing and his court awareness and decision-making. And number three, just continue to make strides as a shooter. He made a lot of strides as a spot-up shooter and even as a pull-up shooter during the season. I mean, he was much, much stronger as a catch-and-shoot guy for sure in the second half of the season. Now, where I'd like to see him continue to work and hopefully unlock this, I'll put it that way, this isn't a necessity, but it would be great, is on those motion threes. We saw some actions in which he came around screens, and it's very difficult to keep keep up with Ivy off the ball, period, let alone when he has an off-ball screen to work with. So he'd come off those screens. Uh, catch the ball and shoot it in motion, and he was successful on some of those. And if Jaden Ivey can do that consistently, that just adds a whole new dimension to his game, like a big new dimension to his game. Because, you know, not only is it a shot he can take, but defenses have to worry about that too. It's just the idea is to put defenses, this isn't any special insight, but the idea is to put defenses into a situation in which they have no good options. They're only confronted with bad options, and they have to choose the least bad of those options. And having a guy like Ivey who is incredibly explosive and who can do a lot when he gets the ball and a defender is wrong-footed is just makes things that much harder for defenses to uh, to handle so would like to see that be continued excuse me i put it this way or not put it this way i just stumbled over my words i would like to see the coaching staff emphasize that and give him opportunities and see what he can do and so almost forgot free throw percentage ivy needs to improve upon that yeah mid-70s is just not very good for for a guard or for a perimeter player rather in, in the NBA these days. And Ivy gets to the line. He'll continue to get to the line a lot. And it's important that he be able to convert on those opportunities with, uh, you know, with maximum efficiency, of course. And then finally, last but most certainly not least, is Cade Cunningham. I'm very, very bullish on Cade. I could talk about it for a while. I'll just summarize it. I think he has every capability uh, of being a three-level creator, just very, very high IQ three-level creator who playmakes for his teammates at a high level. And he's a leader. I mean, I think his intangibles kind of go a little bit undersold. It's a very useful thing to have the best player on your team to be a natural leader. And I think that Cade will be the best player on, uh, on the Pistons. I think that he's got definite superstar upside and could you know conceivably be the best player on a championship team. Not like, perhaps not like, you know, Jokic level where he's far and away the best guy in a championship team, but... um you know, but I, I think he could uh, he could get up there to be kind of like first amongst equals with uh, with a couple other stars or another superstar. Uh, in any event, what do we need to see from Cade this season uh, beyond health? Of course, that, that goes without saying. No, that goes without saying for any player. And uh, I, I don't think this is going personally. I don't think this is going to be kind of a long term hindrance to his health. So, uh, number one, three point shooting. Of course, he's got to be able to space the floor. Uh, in order to be a, a useful player off the ball. And I don't think he's going to be necessarily quite that heliocentric guy. I think he could play that style, but it's rarely ideal for a player to be heavily heliocentric. In any case, he just he needs to be able to, to hit his catch-and-shoot threes. I think he'll do that. I think he'll also be a, a solid pull-up three-point guy, which is great, not only in that it gives you that option, but also because guys have to guard you that much more closely. He's already got his mid-range game down pretty well. He needs to more reliably be able to attack the basket. Now, did that issue with uh, with his shin impede him in that respect? Who knows? We do know that he's he's put on quite a bit of muscle, which obviously will help things. You go up the middle, you're more likely to get the calls uh, from the referees as well. And Cade's a very, very smart player, particularly coming out of the pick and roll at, at getting to the rim. So he's just, he's just such a smart player and he's got, he's got so much upside that I'm confident he's going to get all these three, all these things done. And if he's a good pull up three point shooter, who is also a strong mid range pull up shooter and is also pretty good at finishing at the rim and just attracts a ton of gravity, which any player like that will, and is as smart as he is and has as good court vision as he has and is as talented as a passer as he is. I mean, you know, you, you can do the math. That's, that's a very, very valuable player. So just to sum up, shoot your threes get to the rim, and also minimize the turnovers, of course. I think even going into last season, in the short time he played, Cade was still making some passes that were fine at the NCAA level, but that the space just doesn't exist for at the NBA level. But I'm, I'm super, super excited to see him on the court this season. He's the player I'm most excited to see, just uh, to see him get out there and you know see what he can do, do his thing. So uh, that'll be it for the player previews. There's one, the last thing that I wanted to touch on, and uh, that is Andre Drummond. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that is the Damian Willard trade. 
to the Bucks, and this is relevant, of course, because the Pistons are in the Bucks division. And there had been some talk from Giannis himself about potentially leaving if he didn't feel like the Bucks were going to be able to continue contending for a championship. And that makes sense. Team is getting older. You know, Middleton is is into his 30s. Drew Holiday is well into his 30s and was talking about potentially retiring at the end of his contract, though he walked that one back pretty quickly after Giannis said what he said. But yeah, the window was closing for the Bucks, And I just love the trade for them. I think that this is one of those rare scenarios in which you have two superstar talents who are an excellent fit for each other. Um, Willard gives you that really elite perimeter creator who's also an excellent playmaker and is, is great at getting into the rim, just attracts a ton of gravity. Uh, Giannis can, you know, can do a lot of attacking for sure. Uh, he does that from the perimeter. Now Willard is a guy that teams really need to watch because he's, he's a motion shooter. He can, you know, goodness, he can really pull up. I mean, this is, this is more Dame than Giannis, but the guy can, can pull up for super long threes as well. It just gives you that much more space. But on the pick and roll, it's like, have fun. I mean, now you've got a guy you can give no space to at all from the perimeter. Like Willard is a substantially better scorer than, than Drew Holiday. And you've also got Giannis, who needs no explanation. So it's just going to be a nightmare for other teams to defend, I think. And of course, you've got them surrounded by shooters as well. The defense definitely takes a downgrade from a perennially very, very strong defender on Holiday to a weak one in Lillard. However, the Bucks have a couple of very significant things going for them and compensating for that. One of them is Giannis, arguably the strongest interior roaming help defender in league history, and I think two-time defensive player of the year. And then Brooke Lopez, who's getting a bit long in the tooth, but is still one of the strongest drop defenders in the league. So will their defense take a hit? Most likely. Will it be outweighed by the improvement of their offense? I would say pretty confidently yes. So not a great thing for the Pistons, but I really like Giannis. I, I like him because I think he's, I mean, he's a consummate sportsman in, in every sense, you know, on the court and off and just seems like a great dude. So I'm happy for him. Uh, but between the Bucks and the Cavaliers, the Pistons may have their work cut out for them in, uh, in the medium term in trying to win the Central Division. And really, the Central Division could have at least four strong teams in relatively short order between the Bucks, the Cavs, I think the Pistons, the Pacers, and maybe the Bulls if they can, you know, decide to continue trying to compete with a roster that is most likely at this stage going to top out with a second-round exit at best. It does bring me back to a point, this is in the 2008-2009 NHL season, in which very nearly all, it came very close to all five teams from the Central Division making the playoffs. It was only the Predators who didn't make it, and they didn't miss by much. Will we see that, you know, in in the NBA, all five teams from the Central making it? Probably a little bit less likely, but it should be a, a strong conference in the years to come. So that'll be it, folks, for this episode. As always, want to thank you for listening. Catch you in the next episode when we'll be partway into preseason 